Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show on the Compete Network, powered by Clue, the podcast for product marketers and competitive professionals looking to give their company a competitive advantage. In this week's episode, I was joined by one of my favorites, Ashley Eisinger, the Competitive and Market Intelligence Manager at Flowcast. And Ben, we talked about all things adoption, one of the most popular topics we hear from. We are keeping the adoption train rolling. We had Patrick Wall from Imperva on last week to talk a little bit about his best practices. We've got Ashley doing more of the same uh, same in this week. Um, what I really love most about Ashley's conversation is how specific she got uh, around how to make the Competitive Intel Digest, uh, your Competitive Intel newsletter, the best it can be. I think that, you know, as someone who writes a, a different kind of newsletter, um, I think some of the the ways that she gave advice in terms of how to mix things up, uh, how to not fall into sort of the traps that, that we all do sometimes when we're doing a newsletter. I thought she got really specific and a lot of sort of actionable takeaways from that. So I was really stoked that she touched on that. Yeah, for sure. The tactical side, and I, we got to do some sort of like translate for listeners, right? So competitive intelligence newsletter, us at Clue, we call it the Intel Digest. We use it interchangeably. You hear that on the episode. That's what we're talking about. And Ashley gives a ton of tactical advice on how she's built these Intel Digest uh, at two previous companies, what she does to actually drip other compete content within those um, newsletters to keep um, their stakeholders reading more, entering into battle cards, seeing deeper product teardowns, all of that stuff. She also just shares more of that soft side of what does it actually look like to get seller feedback. She shares this really good example while she was at High Spot where she had like a tiger team of sales leaders to really get feedback from sellers as quickly as possible to make sure that her compete content's one, getting used, and two, is actually helping them win deals, which is ultimately what we're all here for. So Really good examples from Ashley uh, on the topic of adoption too. Quick plug: our CE Live is coming out on March 22nd, so make sure to save your seat in the show notes below. I'll be joined by two Clue experts, Hunter Sons and Sylvia Rayner, both competitive solution specialists at Clue. Essentially, what do they do? They tear down battle cards amongst our Clue customers, uh, Clue prospects, people in the in the industry. And they also assess the maturity of the compete programs that these folks are running. So they've seen hundreds of thousands of battle cards, compete programs from the inside. And they're going to share the data behind four common mistakes we see in battle cards today and what you can do to fix it. So very excited. Save your seat March 22nd. It's going to be a very special CE Live to be sure. And just for a little extra specialness, just when you think... You're going to listen to this episode and go, wow, I wish I could hear more from Ashley Isinger. Well, guess what, friends? You're going to get it because tomorrow we are going to be dropping a very special bonus episode. Ashley, who's gone through a career change recently, um, she wanted to come on and talk to everyone a little bit about her experience uh, going through layoffs. Uh, searching for a new job, and there's a happy ending at the end of this, uh, so we won't spoil it there. But a big shout out to Ashley for for coming on. You know, Ashley really believes in the power of community, and the community was really there for her when she needed it. So keep your eyes out on the feed for tomorrow because we got a special bonus episode dropping with Ashley Isinger herself. Yeah, that bonus episode. I'm pretty much if you watch these podcasts on YouTube, I'm pretty much just cheesing throughout, just smiling. Like I love Ashley and. 
to hear her journey from from the layoff to finding a new role and everything she did in between it it's an inspiring story and i just really appreciate like the vulnerability she has to share the story because i think it's needed right now and she's not alone and she shares that so folks please give that a listen really excited and with that all said let's get into our conversation with ashley all right today i am joined by a recurring guest friend of the show compete network ambassador she's worked at in compete at availity high spot and she also has a new role which we'll share more about in our bonus episode of course it's ashley eisinger ashley thank you so much for joining me thank you for having me it feels good to be back i love that i like a recurring guest that makes me feel very special you are special this is i mean you've been a ever-present part of C Lives, being on the podcast. You were part of the Compete Network Roundtable, uh, an exclusive for Compete Network community members. You want to share a little bit about that? Yeah. So we got to listen to Jenny Song go through her tips for creating an amazing digest. And then we got to break it down in small groups with community members and kind of talk about how we would apply some of those tips and tricks talk about other things that we do, you know, as digest creators to make sure that those digests are mwah, chef's kiss. And digest competitive newsletters. We call them Intel Digest at Clue. Competitive intelligence newsletters for everyone else um, is a key lever to pull for getting the increased adoption of your competitive content, which is what we're here for today. Love adoption. Adoption is... The first step is the most important step. If if you build all of this content, it doesn't get used. It has no value to your business. But how do you get into adoption is not just a simple answer. So we're going to dive into that today. Ashley, first things first, what do you consider good compete content? So for me, good compete content is anything that is going to make an impact or has recently made an impact. So some of that is going to be things like news announcements, new product features, right? Everybody has got a fall launch, you know, that's going to make an impact for sure. But other things as well, sort of maybe more typical, like mergers and acquisitions, probably going to make an impact on business, new key clients, uh, any new tactics that you're seeing out in the field, that's going to make an impact on the way that your sellers are selling or on how you're handling objections what kind of FUD is being thrown, all of those things are part of good compete content. I think that the other thing to keep in mind on what it makes good content is how you package that back to your stakeholders, right? If it's not relevant or doesn't feel relevant to your stakeholders, if there's not something that they can clearly take away, note, those things will be different, obviously, for each different piece of the organization that you serve. Uh, but if they don't have that clear takeaway on how is this going to affect what I do or how does this help me talk to my client or how does this help me build the next you know, product roadmap, then you need to do more work to make it gooder. I have gooder. I, I have English degrees, right? Better <laughs> content. <laughs> okay. Could you give me an example then? That's I think you, you're, these are like the list of um, types of content that would be good. It could be good or bad, but then you also mentioned how you package and deliver it. Do you have an example from your career, maybe when you started, 
where it didn't land quite as well or now where you are today like a good example of how you found a strong piece of compete content also got into the hands of the right stakeholders when they needed it sure i feel like the classic mistake that everybody makes when they're starting out in ci is seeing something that's really interesting that piques your interest doing very little to like do like a why this matters and just pushing it back out into the field and hoping that everybody else is as excited and intrigued about it as you are, right? So definitely pulled a couple of those early in the career. But I think a good example of something that uh, that I've done is um, at, at my time at Availity, we had a sort of sideline competitor, not really a true competitor, but an interesting fo- like an interesting company in the space. They made an acquisition that pushed them right into true competitor mode. And it was like overnight, everybody's, you know, like kind of, uh oh, what's going on? Um, so instead of just sort of like riding that uh oh wave, right, I got together with um, some of my product owners, some partner people, uh, other folks that had worked either for that competitor or really closely with that competitor in a previous life. Uh, I got together and had like, I don't want to call it a war room because that sounds really scary, but like <laughs> had like basically a mini panel where we were like, okay, let's talk about all the ways that this could impact our business. Created a like a presentation, had those folks on and gave, I think, two or three little like 30 minute breakdowns of, okay, this is what this means to groups, recorded it and then put it out into our sales enablement space so that people could access it when they needed to. And that way it broke it down for here's what this means for our product people. Here's what this here's what this means for our sellers. Here's what this means for, you know, possibly any kind of partner relationships, things like that. And it really took something that was, you know, M&A, right? Pretty straightforward and made it very specific towards, you know, here's how we're going to deal with this or here's what we could do for these specific areas of impact. That's interesting. Like you mentioned, like M&A is a very big and broad yes. thing, right? <laughs> sure. Um, so what it means to different stakeholders, like how do you ladder that down to someone that's in a field? How do you ladder that down to your customer success team, your product team? Like it's, it is something that really requires what you've said there, like a lot of translation and why it matters and making it relevant to the audience. What was the, what was the feedback? The feedback was great. Everybody loved the amount of time and the like the individual breakdown pieces of it. I think that it was something that we had like previously done like a larger sort of company memo where we would talk about, okay, here's like a, a bit of the impact, but also the fact that we did it in presentations so that folks could ask additional questions that maybe we didn't cover. Um, all of that was really, really well received and it gave us a great way to kind of you know, handle those things in the future just because like we saw the way that people reacted to it. So really, really well and something that definitely uh, I'll take, you know, I've, I've taken forward with me. When you mentioned before, there's like the types of content that is good compete content. Uh, obviously, there's work that goes into the making it good uh, and the packaging side of things. What if adoption is still low? What, what are some of the steps you take to course correct? No, this is a great question. So I have a couple of things that if I see, you know, if I take the time and put out some content and see that the adoption is low, uh, I have to ask myself a lot of questions first to make sure that I'm doing all of my job, right? 
the very first question I like to ask myself is, do people know that this exists, right? If you don't do it, I mean, straight up, you can create something amazing. And if nobody knows that it's out there, then you're not going to get any adoption. So really making sure that I've done my part in circulating that sort of like giving it a little bit of a splash, right? Putting it out into Slack, putting it out into, you know, email channels, or if you have like a dedicated CI space, you know, put a banner up, tell everybody, hey, here's what's new, put a star on it, put a red circle. Um, if if I say, okay, yes, it's out there, you know, um, do, do people know where to find it? Because they can know it's there, but if they don't know where it is, it's going to be really, really difficult to figure out, you know, like how, how they can access, how they can adopt. I think that... Uh, Another thing that people might not think about all the time is like, is this in a form that that specific audience can access or wants to access? So, for example, your product folks are probably going to access things or, or take information in differently than your salespeople, right? So if this is for your sales audience, but it's in a really long report that's like 10 pages long, I can almost guarantee you that they'll hit it and then they'll be like, oh, nope. And then they'll they'll X right out of that thing right? It's no, like no hate to salespeople. Y'all are busy doing some stuff, right? So maybe a quick video is better for them. A TLDR at least at the very top is good uh, so that they'll go in, take a look and actually like get that information out there. Um, I think the other thing too is like, is this relevant? This goes back to sort of that, like, how do you break things down into a format that people actually want to, you know, where they can have clear takeaways, right? So if the information doesn't seem relevant pretty quickly. I think that it's really easy, especially now that like we're being used to being served content that feels really specific to us all the time in every other area of our life, right? If it doesn't feel relevant to that audience, then they're like, I've got some work to do, right? And then is that CTA or is, is the use case clear? So if you're a seller, not just do you have this information, but what does this information look like when you pass it on to your customer, right? Or if you're in product or if you're in leadership, like what, you know, what does this mean for the future of the product? Or what does this mean about the next strategic move that we want to make, right? All of those things, really, really important to make sure that they have. And then if all of those are a yes, like I've got all those things, I feel like I've done a good job with all of that. I go straight to the source, right? If I created a, a sales play and my sellers are not adopting and I feel like I've got everything in the right place, I'm going to ask my sellers like, hey, y'all, I made this. I put it out there. I think you know about it. What's missing? Why are you not interested in it, right? And then you kind of get all that feedback back and you can make those changes appropriately because, you know, compete is a team sport, right? Compete is a team sport a hundred times. <laughs> A hundred times over. I'd love to hear about what that conversation looks like between you and the seller there. Sure. And maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's a case of, hey, I've gone through all these boxes. They're still not using it. Or it's like, you just want to know if it's resonant and you see some like mid adoption. Like, what does that conversation look like with the seller? How do you get the most out of the feedback from the seller? Yeah, no, this is a great question. So I really value building relationships with all of my stakeholders, as many as possible. I feel like if if my sellers don't feel comfortable giving me relevant feedback, then I'm not doing my job right because they should be, they should feel like an extension of my CI team, right? I should be an extension of their sales team. Um, so I'll just hit them straight up, right? So, so like, for example, at High Spot, right? Huge sales team. Um, something that we did there was we created like a smaller compete crew where folks from the larger team could come in. We met with them regularly and we could get feedback from them. So 
one, you know, one of those times that just said, hey, we've created some of these assets, right? We see like, you know, there's some usage, but not huge, or we're still getting a lot of questions, things like that, right? What does that, you know, like, what's the deal? And then got a lot of great feedback about like length, you know, the way that the information was laid out, some other pieces that maybe they were missing, some pieces that they kind of already knew that they didn't need rehashed. Those types of things where it was just like, be straightforward with them, tell them like, hey, I've created this. I thought that it was super helpful to you, but maybe not. Tell me what else you need or like where this is better for you as a straight up like you're on a call. This comes up. You need to like access this information pretty quickly. Like what are the top three things that you're looking for? That kind of stuff. And, and you know, don't be afraid to be wrong about it or don't be afraid to like do it over. You know what I mean? I feel like a lot of times compete or maybe even just like product marketing folks can think I've created this thing. It's done. Right. As we all know, the work is never fully done. Right. Compete is constantly iterating. So like feel like do it, iterate, make it better. And you'll see the adoption go up for sure. So living, breathing thing. I mean, offline before this, you mentioned you had a great quote that I can now I'm going to butcher it, but I think it was genius is born from a crowd. Genius is made from a crowd. And yes. it, honestly, it couldn't be true. And this is like, I can, that resonates with me in a, in a content role here at Clue is like, you have that moment where you're in isolation for that little bit too long. You have to do deep work. You have to do that research. But it becomes uh, a saturation point, uh, diminishing returns where you need feedback, you need other perspectives, and it levels everything up. Sellers sometimes often think in their perspective. It's 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 it, a, a lot different to how someone in compete and product marketing often has to have a more holistic view of things and really understand other people's perspectives. So I, I guess this is like a bit of a softer question, but like, how do you get the most out of those folks that have a very singular myopic view at times. I'm sorry for generalizing. No, that's okay. Totally. Um, I feel like the way that you get the most out of those things as again, it's just through being like straightforward and having the conversation, right? Like, don't be afraid to push back on them and say, okay, so you see it this way. This is what I'm seeing. Like, do you see like the way that they push together? Like, where's the where's that piece in the middle that makes it effective for everybody? Or here's how, like, I see that you're seeing this very specific thing. If I blow it up and go like 10 feet back, you see that that's one part of a much larger problem. Right. So, like, let's talk about getting to that, like, sort of middle ground where things are useful to you. But also it's not like I if to make it slightly more concrete, maybe. Well, it's, it's almost like you're doing your own discovery maybe with the sellers. I think 100%. if you said, hey, is this good? They're going to say yes or no. Yes, or, right. eh, or what are you talking about? But like you start to dig to make it make them like connect the dots on why this is relevant to their role, how they would use it. And you start to build like a more authentic relationship than like threw this over. Is it good? Yes. Question mark. Yeah, totally. I feel like something that I have definitely encountered before is like, I feel like I've done my part. I created something. I put it out in the world. I've done my part. But sometimes, like, again, if it doesn't hit the right way, if it's not in a format that somebody wants to, like, take in, if it doesn't have, like, the right information or it's not in the right way, then it's just you've thrown something over a, over a fence and hoped that it's stuck, right? So it really is doing kind of a discovery. I really like the way that you said that, right? 
doing sort of a discovery with your own sellers or your own stakeholders to figure out like you know what what should this look like and i think that really again it goes back to that sort of relationship if your sellers or your stakeholders don't feel like they're a part of that larger group right they don't feel like you're providing something to them or they're part of the team that is being served by ci then i think that it's really easy for them to kind of like is this good yes right um so again like making them part of that conversation is super important and uh, i think that again like i don't want to preach too much about it but it is sort of the thing that i preach about right is like the relationship matters the relationship that you have with your entire team with all of your stakeholders definitely matters you want it because that helps you get that feedback we'll be right back after a word from the compete network Hi, I'm Jody Geiger, Revenue Enablement Coach at Clue, and welcome to my new show, Winning as Women on the Compete Network. I will be joined by the best sellers, revenue leaders, and coaches in the world. Come for tactical advice from people overcoming the same challenges you are facing, and stay for real talk, exploring the moments behind the outward success. We'll go deep on topics like how to elevate as a seller, what makes a high value creating team? How can you make customer success a company-wide sport? And how to get an edge against the competition? And if the title didn't give it away, yep, the guests, they're mostly women. Why? Well, because it's mostly men giving advice on how to coach and lead in revenue teams today. We know representation matters and we want that next generation to only know a world where selling, leading, and driving organizations forward is equally done by all people. Listen to Winning as Women exclusively on the Compete Network and make sure to join us for our next event. All right, back to the show. And I've we've heard this so many times, like building a strong relationship. I love this example that Peter Mertens gave the other day as well. Is that relation that partnership relationship? It shouldn't be just like, am I doing a good job? Right. Is there there is there is this uh, thing I've seen with so many computers? They you need to build that confidence. You do have a value add to the table. It's not here's my opinion. Listen to it, but you need to talk as equals and like understand that you're bringing a lot of value to the table. And he said, I I, I pose a question to him, and he just looked at me like. I would be in a, it'd be a disservice to me in my job if I had this information that would help this team do better in their role and I didn't follow through on that. Yep. And it's so simple, but it comes from that like self-confidence that what you're doing, the work you've done is going to be a value add. So I love that. I want to shift gears a little bit to something a bit more specific. When we talk about adoption, one of the biggest things we've seen at Clue um, is the competitive newsletter, the Intel Digest. We had the roundtable last week about it. It is one of the most important tools in a Compete Pros toolkit for increasing adoption. The last two, the last two stops in your career, you've been running an Intel Digest and had very strong open rates. So I'd love to know why would he so popular? So I think that again, like go back to Jenny's talks, take a look if you're building a digest super like great information i love the way that she breaks it down for me i think that part of the like the digest discovery because again it was definitely a discovery method doing it for the first time right is figuring out where to make it more engaging right like there's a again i think that we talked about this earlier right like giving somebody a link and being like here you go 
it's not going to do it. And it's, I, f- I feel like I've definitely seen some digests that do exactly that, right? Making that information relevant to them, giving a good sort of like why it matters for sure. I think that the other thing is that you have to make it fun. Jenny does a great job talking about this where she like had, you know, a, a newsletter and then she started adding like memes and other things to the newsletter and the adoption went up. And I felt like for for me, it wasn't necessarily memes, but it was things like emojis or like making the language not as stiff. Yeah, you know, I was in healthcare before when I was with Ability and things were, you know, things are a little bit more sort of like buttoned up. You want to keep things a little bit more matter of fact, right? When you loosen up a little bit and make it a little bit more human, like make it me, right? That's when the adoption goes up because people don't have to just like read through that lens. So um, also if that subject line does not pop, like if, if it's just the same, right? If it's something that just gets buried in a in an inbox full of other sort of like generic subject lines, right? You're going to miss it. They're going to miss it. They're not going to care about it. So I feel like making sure that there's a little bit of personality there, maybe like something with a little bit of a wink in it, right? And making it exciting is a big part of getting that adoption. It definitely was a reason why people wanted to open the newsletter uh, when I was at High Spot, right? My my boss at the time, Justin Topliff, did a great job building newsletters before I got there. Um, and it's just like with a little bit of like personality, a little bit of wit, right? And everybody really loved the newsletter. So it was pretty easy to jump in and keep that train rolling when I got there. It's It makes me think of a, a, a lot of things, how you talk there is one, you're, if you talk from your voice, your personality one, it's going to be easier for you to produce. Oftentimes, I mean, in my line of work, there's a lot of writing. And when it's not you writing, you get in your head, it becomes stiff. Like, what am I trying to say? Whereas if it's sort of, for lack of a better word, sometimes your first draft of that news out of the first draft of anything I write is just sort of stream of consciousness. Oh, what yeah. am I thinking? What am I trying to communicate? And don't over-engineer that first part. Um, it really, it allows people to come in a bit, yes. a lot more if you're yourself. And it's not just this boring text 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 granted with this digest you do need to really make it actionable for folks too so it can't be ashley or adam's soliloquy about what we were thinking about that day what we what we had for breakfast um and the other part is someone that is a consumer of a newsletter so brandon shout out brandon on our team at clue who produces it i love pattern breaks i think when you think about so much content out there from internally and even externally is you 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 see the tricks you know what to expect oftentimes and then you make that leap of like skim over scroll through all of that jazz and to be able to use pattern breaks in a way when you mention in that subject line like something unexpected a wink a call out of a specific competitor like really utilizing those hacks those things that are going to perk someone's interest to stop from scrolling as they have their coffee at 8 a.m on a thursday morning totally i think too that if you've built value into your newsletter previously, like you've gained their trust, you know, people know that there's something valuable in there, then that also helps to like stop them in their tracks, right? Because then they'll see, you know, weekly compete newsletter and they'll be excited because they know that, you know, the last three times they opened it or whatever, they found out something that really helped them with a deal or figure out how to prioritize a certain product feature or whatever, right? It, it's just building that trust, building the value, um, letting people realize like hey there's great stuff in here will also help help do that but again like you could build the best newsletter in the world but you're absolutely right if people are just going to scroll past it 
then it doesn't matter how good the newsletter is. So you have to make it engaging enough that people want to open it so that they can actually get the value out of it. And yeah, this is kind of leads into my next question about like, you do still need to build good compete content. You can't just write like your voice and have a captain hook and then it's, it's, it's junk. So when it comes to good content in a newsletter, what does that look like to you? And how do you use newsletters to sort of increase adoption to other pieces of compete collateral and content you've created? Sure. So this was, again, like a great piece of the compete network, you know, round table that we did. Um, I think that when you go into a, a newsletter, again, you have to sort of think about who who your audiences are and how to break that information down for them so that it's relevant, right? Keep those CTAs in mind for those audiences. And I think that, again, like calling the audience out specifically is a great way to do that for individual pieces. Like if you're in the Clue Digest, you know, you have three articles that you've included in there calling out, you know, here's the sales takeaway, here's the product takeaway, you know, here's the CEO takeaway, et cetera. That's a, a great way to do it because people can find that information that's specifically for them. They pull it out, bam, they're they're good to go. Um, but I think that the other thing that you can do is to call out like what else is out there, right? What else you've created for that. So like if your competitor just put out a new, you know, a new product launch and you've got a deep dive breakdown into all of those individual pieces that you don't want to put into the newsletter because now your newsletter is 400 pages long, right? Um, just linking it out, doing something as simple as like, do you need to know more about this? Or do you want to see what this looks like if you've got like a great product walkthrough or, you know, maybe some screenshot breakdowns, et cetera. Like link out to it, tease it like you would anything else, right? Uh, and And make it easy for them to get to that thing, right? Don't just say you can find it here, link it, make it as easy as possible, and then promote it elsewhere, right? If your newsletter is chock full of information, it can go out in an email, but like throw it on like Slack channel. You know what I mean? Some people are doing that thing where they're really not paying attention to their their email. They find everything through Slack. Promote it. Promote it where your people are, right? I think that that's maybe something that I hadn't talked about yet, but probably should have, is that if your information, right, isn't where those people live, then your adoption is not going to be as high. You got to meet the audience where they're at. Exactly. A hundred percent. I Again, I love an example that Brandon uses is, especially when we think about, I mean, we're in the world of Clues, so like we're, a lot of our organization has like a strong competitive IQ. Everyone kind of knows a lot about the competitors, but there's stuff that he does that even has like the more senior sellers that have gone against competitors numerous times that still gets them to go through and adopt more content is like, What's new? Yep. So X win story, X loss story. And then he also mentions within like this relevance piece is like, and because of this, there's like a new update in this battle card. Go check it out. Is there a new, um, is there new messaging that's being used by X competitor? It, are we seeing a trend in these kind of win stories? Use this. Is this customer story really landing? And like he includes that as like, what is new? Because competitors um, sellers are facing these comparisons regularly. Like I know the basic premise of the value props, us versus them. But when it's something new, yes, that's happening, then you're going to get there. You're going to retain adoption, not just for your newer reps that are learning the space, but the people that have been around for longer periods of time as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that flagging, like, I like the way that that's structured. Like, is this really landing? Is this like a completely new thing? Right. I like that sort of like asking the question because then you make them ask the question to themselves, right? Like, is that, is this objection handling really lean? I don't know. That's how I feel like, yeah, that's a great way to sort of tease them to that content. Love that. 
Shout out Brandon. Killing it. Shout out Brandon. Always shout out Brandon. Um, do you want to get into producer Ben's favorite segment? Always. I always want to get into producer Ben's favorite segment. It's rapid fire. And again, disclaimer is I don't see these questions. Ben writes these questions. I don't look at them. So if anything gets offensive or inappropriate <laughs> or anything happens like that, direct all your complaints to Ben because it's not my I, I'm wiping my hands of it. Um, also, listeners, note we're going to have a bonus episode dropping tomorrow with Ashley as well. And it's it's an exciting one. It's going to be about her new job opportunity. And she's going to walk through a little bit about being laid off and what it took to find her new role and some of the steps that I think hurt your stories in empowering. It's really, ex- I'm so excited to hear about you landing your new gig. You're going to share the details. So, Everyone tune in tomorrow as well for a little bonus IP. But let's get into rapid fire, Ashley. All right, I'm ready. Oh my lord. <laughs> Question one. Who's your favorite spice girl? Oh, I gotta tell you, this may be the most important question that we've talked about all day, Adam. So my favorite spice girl, obviously ginger, right? Easily the best one. So um, I mean, I feel like it's pretty obvious. Iconic fashion, the hair, right? The shoes. It's just, you know, there's there's no there's no second, right? There, there's no other Spice Girl. It's it's only Jerry 100% of the time. Who do you think is my favorite Spice Girl? Who do I think is your favorite Spice Girl? Or what Spice Girl would you be were we to create a Spice Girl group? This is the important caveat. All right, Lori, you could take the ladder there. If we were a Spice Girl group, I think that obviously you would be Baby Spice. She's my favorite too, so I take I that knew as a compliment. It. I knew it. See, you've got that Baby Spice look. Sweet, sweet, sweet baby. <laughs> favorite video game ever. Okay, this is really hard because I have a lot of loves and the pandemic changed our lives, right? So um, we, I'm in a, a two-switch household. Uh, because we couldn't share a switch that's like the way that it worked right so um big shout out in a huge way to ori like the ori games right so um those ones were i played them on easy i played both of them back to back on easy mode and definitely spent a lot of time dying and then swearing about dying and then going immediately back i definitely developed a callus for a while on my thumb animal crossing also solid solid game um but elden ring like has had a, a chokehold on my heart for a long time also a game where i just die continuously because i just like to wander around and get myself into like, i was you're a masochist i can't help it i just want to see all the dragons and the dragons do not want to see me but i want to see them so badly i cannot help that so uh, that's like a smattering i cannot pick one but you, there you go that's kind of how i've been spending the last three years of my life Give our audience a book recommendation. Personal, Ooh. professional, whatever you like. Okay. So personal, I recently listened to Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller, and I cannot recommend the audiobook enough. It's so like it's beautiful. The story is beautiful. The the guy who reads it does a great job. Just absolutely gorgeous. Um I think professional, this is a really good question that I should have a better answer to, but I just don't. Um, so I've been, no, listen, so um, Redefining Strategy by Christopher Teige. 
Hey everybody, Ashley here. I maybe lovingly bullied producer Ben into letting me do this section. So uh, here, Adam has asked me a great question about any professional books that I have to recommend. And I tell him that I should be better at recommending this. And there's a reason why. Uh, right here next to me on my desk, I have a ton of great business books that I've been reading, right? Never Split the Difference, The Jolt Effect, Eat Their Lunch. I've got some design uh, road mapping here, but the book that I tell him about is called Rethinking Strategy by Steve Teige, I believe is how you say his name, right? It's the second time I'm going through this. I've got a highlighter in here. You can see that there's a lot of great stuff in here that I've got underlined, I've got notes, but I, uh, in true Ashley fashion, both get half of the name of the book right and I think that I call Steve uh, something a different first name, but it's an amazing book, really, really useful. So um, this is my book recommendation. And now you can hear about why I think it's so great. Thanks. Is really good about how to um, take a look at what's happening in the market and sort of pull competitive scenarios to future proof your business. It's uh, I read it a couple of years ago and um, I, I've been rereading it during my like layoff period and it's just so full of great information and stuff that like as a CI person, as a market intelligence person, I can take and apply immediately right to like to my position. And it works towards like anybody who feels that you know CI um, is like very tactical like pulling this sort of uh, scenario planning into your like your toolkit right helps to if you're afraid that you're just like too tactical this launches that further up into the strategic for you so really recommend it last one on rapid fire here you are in nashville i am so give us your elevator pitch for living in the south uh everything fried right if you're a summer person, which I don't know why you would be, but if you're a summer person, summer most of the time, right? Although humid, so take that into account if you're more of a dry heat person, no hate. Um, also, uh, I think I said this before and I will say it again, our, you know, our patron saint, Dolly Parton, she's teaching every kid to read. She's got her own theme park. They're real, who, who can compare, honestly? Like, come on, come on, she's an icon. And on that note, it's a wrap. Dolly Parton, she'd be good at CI. She'd, she'd be, be amazing at, at CI because who would say no to her? Nobody. She'd ask any question and they'd be like, yes, I'll tell you literally everything. She's just the best. Ashley, thank you so much again for joining us. And everyone, check out the bonus episode tomorrow. We get a little bit more in the warm and fuzzies here. Um, and we'll catch everyone else next week.